Are plants intelligent? Can plants feel? When I speak in a baby voice to my houseplants and treat them like my children, do they understand my love for them and are they comforted? How have plants evolved in line with civilization? Do they adjust to us or have we actually adjusted to them? There are some seriously deep questions about plants and their ability to feel and think plant friends. And if you've had plants for a while now, you've probably caught yourself thinking some deep thoughts about your plant babies. Today, I'm joined for a very deep talk with two intense plant nerds, a professor of philosophy of science, and a PhD and TEDx speakers to discuss these questions, to go beyond what we think we know and explore, because they have the answers to some of these questions, and yes, they might surprise you. Welcome to the Growing Joy podcast, where we not only learn how to care for plants successfully, but how to simply and affordably use our plant babies to cultivate more joy in our lives. I'm Maria, author of Growing Joy, The Plant Lover's Guide to Cultivating Happiness, speaker, podcaster, and most importantly, an epic plant killer turned happy plant lady. On Growing Joy, you'll find conversations about plant care, plant community, and wellness through the lens of plants. Hello, 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 plant friends. I hope you've had beautifully planty weeks. I have interestingly found that I am watering my plants way more this winter than in the summer because all of my plants are around these like floor baseboard heaters that we have. And no matter what I do, these heaters are just sucking. My plants are in terracotta and the heaters are just sucking the water right out of the soil. So I've actually found that it's been a beautiful um, up in my – there's been a beautiful uptake in my plant care, self-care routine because – I've been having to water my plants like way more frequently than I have in the summer. So that just goes to show, you know, know your plants. Your plant care routine is really important because, you know, if I was to look online about winter plant care, every blog that I would see would say to peel back my watering and don't water as frequently. But because I'm an empowered plant parent, I know that I have to think beyond the care card and I'm realizing that my soil is drying out way faster because of my radiator. So if you have base heaters on your floorboards or radiators, make sure that you're not in the same boat as me and make sure your plant babies are getting water if they need. And while you're at it, make sure you're drinking water. Thank you so much for being here. It means so much to me that you have chosen to spend time with me on the Growing Joy podcast. There are so many podcasts out there, and I know that you choose to be a part of this community, and it means so much to me. I'm so proud and excited of all of the episodes that we have lined up for you, including today's episode. If you've been consuming our content and enjoying it, I would love it if you could take a few minutes just to leave a kind review on iTunes. Um, They really help with the show to get the show in front of as many plant people and wellness enthusiasts as possible. That's why we're creating this content to help everybody cultivate joy through plants. So thanks in advance. Okay. Today's episode. Wowza. This conversation was so deep. I was kind of annoyed with myself at the end. There was a, we had a hard out. I feel like I could have spoken to them easily for 30 more minutes, but it just means that we're going to have to have Natalie and Paco back on the show in the future. But today's episode's deep. We're, we're exploring the concept, can plants feel and can plants think? This is probably something that you've thought about in the past as we take so much, you know, care of our plants and as we feel like we're really bonding with them and that they're our babies, like, do they feel that back? Um, 
It's very interesting. This conversation is definitely more of an interview because they're so smart. I just asked some questions and let them run. It's so interesting. So I don't normally like do a formal introduction of guests on the show, but I feel like I do have to do this with these two because they're so interesting and have such intense bios. So we're today we're joined by Professor Paco Calvo and Natalie Lawrence. Um, they're the co-authors of the book Planta Sapiens, Unmasking Plant Intelligence. So Paco, Professor Paco, is a professor of philosophy of science and the principal investigator at the Mint Lab, Minimal Intelligence Lab, at the University of Murcia in Spain. His current research interests range broadly within the cognitive sciences with a special emphasis on plant intelligence, ecological psychology, and embodied cognitive science. I don't really know what any of those words mean, but they're all fancy, and you're going to get it when you hear Paco talk because he's so awesome. And then he's joined by Natalie Lawrence, who is a writer and illustrator with a PhD and MSc in the history and philosophy of science and in zoology from the University of Cambridge. Her work has appeared on BBC Wildlife, Aeon Magazine. She's a TEDx speaker and appeared on the BBC Woman's Happy Hour. They're just such brainiac plant people. I had so much fun talking to them. They really kind of turn what we think we know as plant parents on its head and encourage us to zoom out. And gosh, that's why I love our relationship with plants. Plants in, offer us a perspective flip in so many ways, whether it's learning life lessons from plants through seeing how they grow and comparing your own experience, or, you know, as Paco and Natalie, you'll hear in this conversation, continually offer me the opportunity to take myself out of the narrative, to take ourselves out of the narrative and actually just think of them in a completely different light. So without further ado, I hope you love this conversation as much as I did. Here are Paco and Natalie. Paco and Natalie, welcome to Growing Joy. I'm very excited and a little bit intimidated to have you guys here today. <laughs> well, hi. Yeah. Hi, nice to meet you. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about how I would introduce the both of you today, and I think I don't have the mental facilities to do it because you're both such brainiacs. You're so impressive. So do you each want to take a minute to introduce yourself and, and tell us how you are exploring this concept of plant intelligence? Hmm. Well, yeah, maybe I can get started with what is it that we do at the Minimal Intelligence Lab. I'm a professor of philosophy of science at the University of Murcia in Spain and director of the Minimal Intelligence Lab, which is a special kind of lab because it's a lab based in a philosophy department, not a plant science unit. And so people may think, what is it that you are able to do by studying plants scientifically from a philosophy department and not in a plant biology faculty or something, right? Mm -hmm. So I would say that I guess in a sense we bring something fresh and special, which is precisely the fact that we are able to raise different questions that the, than mm -hmm. the questions that people might raise from a purely plant physiology perspective, so to speak. So we And bring what are those in, questions? Well, think just uh, if you think of plant electrophysiology or plant metabolism or anything related to the, the standard, the customary ways of, of approaching the study of plants, uh, we take that for granted so we can get all those lessons straight from the plant biology classes. But we say, hey, hold on a sec. Uh, what is it that plants actually do that we cannot learn by simply looking at their molecular or or the physiological uh, uh, underpinnings. And it has to do with their behavior. 
So if we want to understand plants, we need to observe and understand their behavior, how they behave, mm -hmm. and whether their behavior is intelligent and what it takes for some behavior to be intelligent or not. So the very question of what makes some pattern of behavior intelligent in the first place, it's something that you need to ask, theoretically speaking, from the outside, from an outsider's perspective. Then you can try to bring that question into the lab and make the type of experiments that can throw light upon that question, right? But first of all, we need to understand what is it that we mean by intelligent behavior, be it a plant behavior, animal behavior, human behavior, any behavior whatsoever. What is it that makes it truly intelligent as opposed to just a, an adaptation? Yeah, it's interesting too, because it sounds like you explore what we inherently understand as gardeners and houseplant parents, that there's so much more to our plants than mm -hmm. just you know, one of my biggest things is plants are so much more than, you know, interior decor. They're these living, breathing things that, you know, you establish a relationship with. And we understand that because we see it and interact with them on a daily basis. But there is so much that we don't understand because we're focusing so much on how do I effectively water the plant? How do I fertilize the plant? But, you know, there's so much more there. I can't Absolutely. wait to dive in. Yeah, I can't mm -hmm. wait to dive in. Your book really blew me away. But before we dive in, your partner, Natalie. Natalie, can you introduce yourself? And, you know, you guys kind of co-wrote this book. You have a very interesting relationship. So can you kind of introduce yourself to us, too? So that kind of shift in perspective was um, something I had to go through because I am a writer and illustrator. And I, my background is in zoology and history and philosophy of science. So I, I overlap with Paco in some ways on that. But I had to kind of over the course of writing this book with Paco, I found my own view shifting my my eyes opening in terms of awareness of of the capacities of plants and and my own biases as well that had initially been there. And with zoology, are so that's studying animals. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's so very interesting. Scientist. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting though because when you look at biophilia, you know, it's that concept of connecting with other living things, yeah. and you realize like how interconnected plants and animals actually are you know, I just got my first pet bird and I'm actually kind of looping this bird into this, you know, practice that I have with my plants, but also with birds, because it's all about just like engaging with living things, you know, that aren't inanimate. What um, is the practice so you have for your plants? Oh, I wrote, well, I wrote a whole book on, on how to engage with how to use plants to cultivate more joy and calm in your mm -hmm. life. So I have a morning routine with my plants. I look at my plants before I look at screens in the morning. So mm -hmm. I spend time with my plants in the morning. And I think plants, I think spending time with house plants is the gateway to like spending time with yourself. So, yeah. you know, the more you connect with plants, you connect with nature, you are nature, you connect with yourself. It's a whole, whole cycle we're in. Absolutely. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. We, yeah. The, I mean, I wish we spend more time away from our screens, right? Right? Oh, my gosh. Well, that's the beauty. That's the beauty of this hobby, too, you know, because we're we're coming from the hobbyist side of it. Um, but that's mm. the beauty of the hobby is it gets you off your screens and it gets you, you know, in the dirt, in that mm. physical, you know, experience. Sure, sure. It's an interesting way of looking at it as well, because I think people are becoming increasingly aware that spending time in nature is good for you. But I don't think they necessarily think of it as spending more time with plants. They more think of, yeah. kind of, sort of getting away from the city and sort of going into nature, but not spending it with the other organisms in the nature yeah. so much. Well, and it's interesting, too, because as I dove into this and as, you know, I wrote my own book, so author to author, you know, as I started doing the research, it's interesting, too, that the world of science and the world of philosophy and the world mm -hmm. of hobbyists, like we all need to kind of play with each other, because what I've realized is 
when I was writing my book about self-care, there were so many things that I knew, but the research that you look at is in very specific areas where there's money. So Mm -hmm. there's, you know, there's more nature based research on what spending time in nature can do because forest bathing in Japan, you know, forest bathing is a, you know, is a medicinal practice where doctors approve of it, you know, Mm -hmm. so there's research going into there. And then also I noticed there are a lot of studies with offices. So people are putting Mm -hmm. money into studying the effect of, you know, biophilic design in office spaces. Mm not yet home because I don't think there's, you know, money there, but it's interesting how the science and the intuition have to kind of play with each Mm -hmm. other and back each other up because, and that's really what you guys are doing Mm -hmm. too, to such another kind of more esoteric kind of degree of not necessarily proving how plants can be beneficial for humans, but just proving how plants are kind of as intelligent. As yeah, us and kind of more evolved <laughs> than we are. Yeah. Well, in, in a sense, to understand themselves for themselves and not in relation to mm. us. Because exactly. in a sense. Exactly. Yes. You, you just said it perfectly. Yeah. We, we cannot help but thinking of plants as, in a sense, as resources, right? And mm-hmm. then you end up thinking, hey, hold on a sec. I mean, if you were going to travel to some other planet and there was this form of life being rooted, being sessile, just by itself without any pattern of coevolution with animals locomoting around or anything, how would yeah. you appreciate their smarts? Yes. Without relating it to the animal type of smarts that we are more familiar with, right? So your book, Planta Sapiens, I read the whole thing. I feel like I need to go back and reread it because some of it is kind of dense. It is so freaking fascinating. Your section on anthropomorphilia right. and how... You know, this concept mm. of maybe plants are steering the ship, even though we think yeah. we're steering, yeah. we steering the ship. Sure. Can yeah. you dive into that? Because I feel like this is yeah. the perfect jumping off point. Yeah. Well, actually, think about it. We have a cartoon version of what evolution is about. Yeah. Like, you know, some form of life evolving or acquiring some type of adaptation for the good, of course, to pass mm-hmm. their genes. And we forget that there is not such a thing as evolution but you only find co-evolution because mm-hmm. organisms can only evolve in the context of other organisms that they are interacting mm-hmm. with. Okay. So there is not any form of, co- of evolution which is not co-evolving with other forms of life, right? And when you get there, you realize that, in a sense, strictly speaking, no one is at the wheel, at the driving seat. Like, mm-hmm. think of patterns of co-evolution in between pollinators and flowers. Like, we always play attention, we always focus our attention onto the pollinator, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, the pollinator is doing great. Is uh, But if you think about how patterns of coevolution, how it pays off for both the flower, the plant, and the pollinator, the insect, or what may, whichever pollinator we are talking about, those patterns of coevolution, in a sense, imply that whatever is going on in the interaction is got to make sense from the perspective of both forms of life. So there's meaning making on behalf of both the flower and on behalf of the insect. In a sense, they are shaping each other because Mm -hmm. otherwise the coevolution wouldn't work out unless there is a reciprocal shaping of each other, right? So in that sense, the same happens when you move on in this section you are referring to, when the pattern of coevolution is in between Uh, plants and and human animals or human beings because in this case we are far too used to ourselves to being at the driving seat that we forget that we are like the pollinator we are just one more agent in a pattern of coevolution 
So if we don't understand it in these terms, evolution simply wouldn't work because we are just mm. simply one more species in this whole entangled web like Darwin yeah. would like to say, right? We're so obsessed with ourselves. But if Absolutely. you think about it, plants have been around so much more than us. Like they've been around so much longer and they'll be around so much longer than us that mm. who are we to like be so freaking obsessed with ourselves can you talk about, I just think because we have, most people who listen to the show have houseplants. I giggled when I read your section in that chapter on how houseplants might have kind of steered the ship to develop this relationship with us. Can you talk to that, speak to that a little bit? Mm. Yeah, well, it's it's difficult to to visualize it unless we truly put ourselves in their shoes, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's so easy to misunderstand it, to say simply, well, yeah, you know, it simply does work from the perspective of, of them plants acquiring some sort of adaptation, right? You've got to think in a different, longer time scale. So agriculture, agriculture has been, you know, for millennia, for thousands of years, we've been yeah. domesticating plants, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not simply this house plant sitting here, this potted plant next to me. It's the whole way the phenotype and genotype of plants have been shaped by our interaction with them and reciprocally how we are being shaped by interacting with them. I mean, if so you think, think of how much of our culture has been shaped by kind of the harvest cycle and the, the, the needs of the plants that we rely on. Yeah, absolutely. So they don't our lives, actually, in some ways. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So that, that's part of the story, right? Like, like if you think of all these all this nested timescales, they are mm -hmm. somehow reciprocally affecting each other on these loops, right? So it's, mm -hmm. it's like uh, nested time scales and loops. Um, interaction is happening and influences are happening all the way from one way to the other, right? So just think of an example of, of how through agriculture we've been shaping them, right? By shaping them, I simply mean their phenotype. For example, think of a domesticated vine, a climbing being, for example, that one that has been domesticated through agriculture is one vine that has a shorter internode length. So in between nodes, the length is shorter, right? So this makes the plant more difficult to move around, to revolve. So plants grow by revolving in circles. Darwin called this circumnotation. So they, this pattern of circumnotation, like revolving in circles, is how plants grow. By shortening those distances, out of the way we've been domesticating them. So we've been placing a pole next to the plant for centuries, for thousands of years. That's what mm. we've done in agriculture to make it easier for us to pick fruit, to collect the gene, right? So by providing the pole to the plant, we've made it behave differently because now mm. it's shortened those distances and the plant doesn't revolve so dramatically as it would in the wild. So a wild plant will have to revolve in greater angles to find, to try to search for support for a host tree, somewhere to twine around and grow, right? In domesticated plants, we are doing them away with that need, right? So in a sense, that's the way we're shaping them to stay close to the pole because there is no need to go out there and search for anything else. Now, this same rationale, how the way we've been handling them has made them be shaped in one way or another, this dwarfing or shortening of those distances and the resulting different way of patterns of growth that they exhibit. Think about it the opposite way, how the way their interaction with us has changed the way we behave. Mm. So they are shaping us likewise, right? 
they're shaping us to give them the pull. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Thanks to Wind River for supporting this episode. If you've been listening to the podcast lately or following me on Instagram, you know that I'm obsessed with my Wind River wind chimes that we installed on New Year's Day at our house. They make my home feel like a spa. It is wild. And they are incredible reminders to drop into the present moment every time they sing in the wind. Because throughout the day, as we're going about our business, as we're on our screens, in our email inboxes, the wind sweeps up the Wind River chime we hear the gorgeous tones of these wind chimes and it's just this like moment to snap back into the present. And beyond that, chimes can also be an incredible gift for anyone in your life that has recently lost someone. So a couple of years ago when my grandma passed away, our neighbor gifted my dad a wind chime with her name on it, Minerva. And my mom hung it in the tree outside my dad's office. And it was just the most beautiful tribute to her. And, you know, Mima, that's what we used to call her. Mima's wind chime would sing in the wind. And it was this beautiful reminder of my grandma and how that she's always with us. And we were so moved by this gift. My mom has since gifted multiple personalized wind chimes to her friends when they've lost loved ones. The other day I was on Instagram and I was posting about just how much I was loving my wind chimes. I think I did like a mindful moment in my Instagram stories. And Lindsay, a follower, DM'd me and she shared that she recently purchased wind chimes with a message that said, listen to the wind and know that I am near in memory of her mother-in-law. And I just thought that was so special. And Wind River offers a free engraving when you use code GROWINGJOY at checkout. So they have many personalization options to get names, memories, or sayings engraved to help the recipient be reminded of how deeply connected we we all are and how no one is alone. So use code GROWINGJOY at windriverchimes.com and you'll get a free engraving to add a special message like Lindsay's on any of the Corinthian Bells chimes. So head to windriverchimes.com and use code GROWINGJOY at checkout to gift the most meaningful gift to someone in need. Or just gift yourself a gorgeous wind chime and you can be like me and smile a million times throughout the day when the chimes sing to you through your window. It's actually chiming at me right now. I have one right outside my office. So anyway, windriverchimes.com, use code GROWINGJOY at checkout. On an episode about plant feelings, I need to take a minute to share one of my favorite products for feeling good when you sleep, the Barabee Weighted Blanket. My plant friends, putting a weighted blanket by Barabee on your body when you go to sleep is literally like falling asleep in a warm hug. It is incredible. Barabee's hand-knit sustainable weighted blankets help you sleep better and feel calmer naturally. If you don't know, weighted blankets, which are literally, that's what they are, they're blankets that have weight to them between 10 and 30 pounds, have been medically proven to aid naturally deeper sleep cycles. The weight on your body stimulates the production of serotonin, the happy hormone, reduces cortisol, the stress hormone, and increases melatonin, which helps you fall and stay asleep naturally instead of taking those friendly melatonin pills that are living next to my bed at all times. I don't have to use them anymore with my Barabee weighted blanket. I've used a weighted blanket for three years now, um, a really ugly, hot, old weighted blanket, and I upgraded to the Barabee Tree Napper this year, and the upgrade has been so worth it and so lovely. Barabee addressed two issues with my old weighted blanket that 
me, but more importantly, my husband hated. Number one, the old blanket was so hot. Weighted blankets, you know, when they were first being developed, like are just filled with these balls of metal and they take the heat of your body and you're just like so sweaty at the end of the night. And number two, it was so ugly. (laughs) I would have to like hide it when guests came over. So I upgraded to the Barabee Tree Napper, which is their cooling blanket. It's so stylish. It has this chunky open knit style. It looks like any gorgeously comfy throw you would see on any magazine. It comes in a variety of colors, but it's also made with that cooling material that has airflow. And Billy is so thankful that he's not sleeping next to a sweaty mess anymore. That's me. The brand's award-winning weighted blankets are made with entirely sustainable materials such as organic cotton, eco-velvet, and tensile so that you can practice self-care without compromise. Treat yourself, plant friends. In 2023, treat yourself to sleep. Treat yourself to gorgeously comfy sleep in a hug with a weighted blanket by Barbie. <laughs> Especially in these cozy winter months, you won't be disappointed. So use the code GROWINGJOY at checkout at barbie.com for free, faster shipping. Once again, head to barabee.com and use code GROWINGJOY at checkout for free, faster shipping. And you can think of it in, in terms of the effect that we uh, we have on plants. You can think of it as we're exploiting them as resources or we're using them for their beauty or whatever. You can also think about it as they have something that we want and we have made their lives easier so they can invest more in it. You know, you, you give them nutrients, you, you keep them inside, you tend them. They can then invest more in flowers, in fruit, in all the things that we want. So actually, in some ways, it's like they have us to look after them and then Mm. they can expand on the the characteristics that we value. Yeah. Yeah. So the theory is like the plants have evolved to make themselves the most appealing to be brought indoors because it's so much more comfortable for them to be living indoors where we're watering them and taking care of them instead of having to like fend for themselves in the Mm. wild. Well, we have all become cozy, right? And, <laughs> and, and yeah, that, that works for both of us. But we have to bear in mind that intelligence differs drastically. So, so different plants, different species, depending on the local conditions or, or the type of domestication or how, whether they are wild or domesticated and what type of domestication they've gone through, they will exhibit different smarts. So it's not that like, this is important because it's not that plants are either stupid or smart is that they are intelligent or not to a different degree, or they are exhibiting different types of intelligence, mm. right? Mm. Mm. Yeah. That's the same but, as humans. I mean, that the happens same to as us human. as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, after reading your book, I'm like, man, there's more, we have more in common than I thought. So in the book, and speaking of that, you talk a lot about a plant's perspective. How do you see mm. a plant's perspective? Can you Can you share mm. a little bit more about that? Mm. Well, uh, okay, so this is a really difficult exercise, right? This is not something you learn from the books. Uh, this is important because sometimes people think, okay, I can, you know, I can take this degree in plant science, I, I go through all these textbooks, and then I know what I need to know, and then I, I'm able to put myself in their shoes and acquire that perspective. This is something you cannot do unless you drop the book and sit next to the plant and mm. watch it and observe it, right? Tell me more. And that's yeah, and well, that's what we started doing here at MindLab. Actually, at the very beginning, we didn't even time-lapse. So now we time-lapse them. So we, we do two things, okay, to try to acquire this perspective. One is to observe their overt behavior, like through time-lapse photography, right? We take like a picture every minute, we assemble the footage, and then you can see, you know, a week of behavior in condensed into two, three minutes, right? 
that's certainly informative and we couldn't study plant behavior without this tool, right? On the other hand, we also try to observe their behavior from the inside, which is through monitoring electrophysiological states, right? So we insert, we attach electrodes to the plant and we can see what lights up. So as if you were going to the hospital to have a, yeah. a brain scan a stress or something, test. Right? Yeah, yeah. Totally. So the, the very same thing is we are monitoring their electrophysiological activity, and then we try to see how that correlates with the overbehavior that we can observe through time-lapse photography. But before you do those two things, what I was meaning to say is that first you sit and simply observe not just the plant, but actually what is surrounding the plant. So what the plant cares about. Mm. So the sun is setting right now here in Murcia. Okay, how long does it take? What's happening to the light? How things are, you know, quieting down? So all these features or all these regularities that go round the clock, like day-night cycles, seasons, all these mm -hmm. cycles, all this regular information, we are all sensitive to that type of information, mm -hmm. right? Any form of life whatsoever, right? On planet Earth, we have evolved to be sensitive to those features because we are very, very sensitive to that information because it's relevant to our doings, right? Like night comes, day, temperature, humidity, drops, peaks. So all that information is highly important to keep track of. So if you sit next to the plant, you might be seeing, for example, a legume, the climbing bean. Oh, the legume is folding its leaves. This is called an ictinasty, right? It's folding its leaves one hour prior to the sun setting. Okay, mm. Rather than simply go on the time-lapse footage and watch it speed up, no, no, let's sit back and relax and do it at, at plant space. So sit there and see, actually, you can see this to the naked eye. So to the naked eye, if you are careful or patient enough, you can sit for an hour and see how they are folding their leaves. Because by accelerating it through time-lapse photography, we might be missing something that relates to the appreciation of the effort and the time needed for that behavior to take place. So when we started observing plants to try to put ourselves in their shoes, the first point was to say, hey, let's observe them, not by relying or resorting to some technology to speed them up, but by slowing ourselves down. Yeah. And this is important because unless you do that, you're going to miss the real-time scale in which their behavior operates. And that's one of the key shifts that needs to happen in the book, that we talk about in the book that needs to happen is shifting our awareness of the fact that other organisms, the intelligence of other organisms is very much within their own ecological contexts. So we can't have a blanket view of what intelligence is. Intelligence evolved to suit an organism and allow it to do well in its environment. And that's very different for every single organism. So mm. plants have a very different way of operating to us. And therefore, the types of intelligence they need are very different. And that the types of perception that they have, the way they see the world is incredibly different. So one of the kind of imaginative shifts that we need to make in order to be able to understand them better is trying to really get out of our own frameworks of what's important, what's relevant in the environment, and try and think what's going to be relevant to a plant. Mm. Oh, my gosh. What is I it just... that they care about, right? What is it that they care about? Well, and you know what's so interesting that I, I think I just listening to the two of you talk had this weird aha moment is I think the solution for so many issues in the world right now is reconnecting with nature. Mm -hmm. Like if we could all just go back to what was working before we messed everything up, right? Like if we could all just slow down, right, Paco? Like that's what you just kept saying. We have to slow yeah. down to listen yeah. to the plants. 
also, I think like, you know, our earth, like we need to take care of the earth. We need to deal with global warming. We need to deal with our overstimulation and burnout, all this stuff. I think mm-hmm. nature's the answer. Plants are the most in tune with nature because they have like the earth. Like you mentioned, you know, how plants are so sensitive to the sun cycles and, and you know, all of that. So they have a way to communicate and observe the earth mm-hmm. and nature because they are nature, but like they get to observe these natural rhythms that we have become Mm. so farther disconnected from with a sensitivity that we lack. Mm. And that's amazing, right? So they're so intelligent in their own way that this bean knows to start closing its leaves before the sun sets. And then it's our job to try and observe the plant to then put ourselves in its shoes to be able to become that more hypersensitive. Like we don't have that sensitivity that mm. these plants have to sync up with these natural cycles and to become more yeah. in tune with the earth and what it needs. Well, isn't it amazing? I mean, this reconnecting, think of what we are doing nowadays. Instead of doing that exercise of slowing down, we go to the pharmacy and buy melatonin tablets, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? So, yes. well, well, the example of the legume that they fold their leaves one hour ahead of time, right? Yeah. It's not just that they are folding their leaves. It's that they are biosynthesizing their own phytomelatonin. That's something we recount in the book, right? So they synthesize their own melatonin. We are so stubborn that we think that melatonin is an animal thing. And we just couldn't picture plants synthesizing their own melatonin. To the point that when this was discovered 25 years ago, scientists decided that they required the prefix phyto, so they couldn't be synthesizing melatonin. It had to be phytomelatonin to distinguish it from the animal real melatonin, right? Mm. And in the end, it's the same molecule, and we don't get it. So in the end, we don't get it. We force them to use the prefix phyto because it's just to distinguish it from the real, the real melatonin, which is ours. And right. then they end up biosynthesizing it naturally to go to bed, and we end up going to the pharmacy because we are, you know, in this crazy uh, lifestyle that we are carrying out, right? Yeah. And then you you swallow the, the synthetic melatonin to put you back in track with the planetary cycles when yeah. plants are doing it the natural way. But if you think about it, you know, that bean is starting to, preparing to close its leaves before the sun sets and the humans, we won't, you know, metaphorically close our leaves. We'll go, I will work until 10 p.m. and then expect myself to go right to bed and fall asleep. Mm -hmm. And that's where I take the melatonin instead of having my hour to Mm -hmm. close my leaves of, you know, turning off my screens, having a cup of tea, stop watching TV, you know, and like, once again, the answers are all in freaking nature. So I have to bring up, you are obsessed with vining plants, obviously. (laughs) You write about specifically vining plants in your book more than any other plant. Yeah, actually, that's a great question because vines, uh, climbing beans in this case or any other vine, they are really special, you know. I mean, for one thing, think about this pattern we said of, of leaf folding an hour ahead of sunset, right? That's anticipatory behavior, right? And if there is a type of plants that need to exploit anticipatory behavior, this is climbers. And the reason is that they found this trade-off in evolution, which is either you devote all your resources to building up a robust, solid stump 
to grow from, right? The base yeah. of the trunk. Or you don't, and you rely on somebody else's strength, like the whole tree you twine around, right? Mm-hmm. So that means that I'm going to grow fast, but weak. And that also means that I cannot afford to fail. If I'm reaching out for a target, if I have to grow in a goal-directed manner to reach the target, I need to do so in a way which I don't miss. Because if I miss my target, I might not have a second chance. So I better do well. So plants, climbers have evolved real, real, really smart adaptations. Like, you know, they sniff out those host trees because they need to make sure they have the, for example, if it's a parasitic plant, those that cannot even photosynthesize, they really need, you know, think of the daughter in the US. So those plants cannot do their own food stuff out of photosynthesis, right? So if they are targeting a host plant to drill their stem and suck up their sugars, they cannot afford missing because by the time they say, oops, I missed it. I was growing in the wrong direction. I'm going to try again. By the time you try again to a second direction, a second target, it's too late. You are dead meat, right? You're dead, yeah. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that I've been starting and using territorial seeds for multiple years. They are amazing. They germinate incredibly. I love the packaging. They have every single plant you could ever dream of. The variety of tomatoes they have in their catalog is wild and garlic too. You just can't beat Territorial Seed Company for the quality, the variety, and the ease of shipping. Their hot ticket seed potatoes are available for pre-sale now. So if you want to do seed potatoes this year, put your orders in now. They ship in March, but they sell out super fast. So you can go on the website and snag them with our coupon code. And if you're looking to grow onions, their onion seeds are also available. They wanted to share a couple of onion planting tips for you. So with onions, you're going to sow up to 10 to 12 seeds in a four to six inch pot. Cut it to three inches if the plant grows over five inches. And when you're planting, separate the seedlings in a shallow trench, fill the trench around the seedlings and water in well. And if you don't want to go through the rigmarole of starting onions from seeds, they also sell onion plants on their website that will ship pre-started straight to your door. So you'll place your orders now, and then the plants and the seeds will ship when it's time to plant. Visit territorialseed.com slash growingjoy for a 10% discount on all territorial seed items. Order early. Make sure you get everything you want in their seed catalog this year. They definitely sell out on multiple items. And get the 10% discount. That's amazing. Territorialseed.com slash growingjoy for your best gardening year yet. If we want our plants to thrive, plant friends, we need to think about setting them up for success with high-quality soil, fertilizer, potting mix, and more, and that's where Espoma Organic comes in. You know I've been using Espoma Organic for, like, essentially, by now, my entire plant collection is potted up in their line of potting mixes. They have specific potting mixes for the different plants you might have, so they have a succulents and cacti mix, a general potting mix, an orchid mix, an African violet mix, and if you want to get fancy like me lately... Most of my houseplants are potted up in their general mix, but if I'm planting up some aeroids that like a chunkier mix, I'll take their orchid mix and mix it in with the general potting mix for like a chunky aeroid mix. I also love their liquid houseplant fertilizer. I literally used it this morning when I was watering my plants in my morning plant care routine. It's so easy. It comes in a bottle. You pour a cap of the liquid fertilizer into your watering can, and then you water away. It's stupid easy and mess-free. 
And if you're an outdoor gardener, Espoma has everything you need to go from seed starting to fully flourishing garden in raised beds or in ground from their high quality seed starting mix to their garden soil, their incredible compost and their biotone starter plant food is definitely something you should start your plants up when you're transplanting them into the ground or into your containers this summer or this spring. And not only are their products amazing, but their manufacturing facilities are 100% solar powered and they use bio-preferred packaging. So to learn more about all of the amazing organic indoor and outdoor products that Espoma can offer, visit espoma.com to see where your local Espoma dealers are, or click the link in the show notes and that'll take you to my Amazon storefront where I have a curated list of my favorite Espoma products. Do you want to remind, uh, remind us some of the ways they find their hosts? Yeah, actually, well, they, when they when we say that they are sniffing them out, we mean it, this is no metaphor, right? They, so they are sensing those chemicals, those volatiles that the host tree or the host plant is emitting. They can tell gradients of ratio of, of different light uh, parts of the light spectrum. So, for example, the ratio of red to far red light, because plants are absorbing red and are reflecting far red. The same goes with, with blue and green. So those ratios, the amount of red to far red or the amount of blue to green is providing the, the climber with really, really rich information as to who is around. So I know there is more guys around here because the ratio is changing. As I grow towards this area, there is more red or blue being absorbed. Oh, there are guys over here or the chemicals they are emitting. So all this is information is so valuable. But the important thing is that they have to do it ahead of time. So in a sense, they have to predict the future. They have to anticipate, mm -hmm. right? So when people say that plants are, in a sense, stupid because they are rooted, that's, this is a quote from a fellow philosopher we use in the book. And we say, you know, quoting from, from this person, we say, yeah, they say, well, you know, plants being rooted, they can afford to be stupid. But we animals on the moving business, we are up and down here and there. We can't afford to be stupid. It's the other way around. It's like, hey, if you are sessile, if you are rooted, how smart you've got to be to keep passing yeah. your genes despite being rooted. Interesting. In this case, anticipatory behavior is a must. You cannot afford to miss. Mm -hmm. So the argument is that plants are smarter because they've had to overcome having roots and adapting. So they've mm. actually, they're actually, that's what you're saying, right? That they're yeah. more evolved because yeah. they're successful with roots. I would say, I, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Uh, but I, I would say not that they are smarter because this would, mm, we would be falling prey of the same mistake we've done when comparing mm -hmm. animals, non-human animals to us. Like, you know, the, this great chain of being. Like we say, hey, we are here at the top and this vertical hierarchical arrangement, like the smarter, then the, the medium, then the lowest. And then we have this idea of, of who is the real smart guys in the tree of life and the others trying to reach or to approach to their smarts. Yeah. And I would, I would avoid comparisons. Okay. It's easier to say, so rather than more or less smart, I would say exhibiting this type of smart or this type of behavior because we have different problems. So it's not that we are more or less intelligent. It's that because we have different problems, we are encountering different situations in life precisely because of the way we behave. We locomote, we move around, we do this, we do that. We cannot photosynthesize our own food stuff. We have to go shopping. So mm -hmm. because on my way to the shop to buy my dinner, I might get, you know, run over by a car. I have different problems from plants. So different problems means different solutions. 
So they came up with a different set of solutions. So their toolkit is different, neither better nor worse, simply different. Mm-hmm. It's more of a it's more of a counter argument to the idea that because they're sessile, they must be stupid. Hmm. It's, it's more it's not that they're, they're they're smarter than us. It's more actually we would predict they would be intelligent because they cannot afford to mess they, up. Not to be. Yeah. yeah, they can't afford not to be. Therefore, we should expect yeah. that they are intelligent because yeah. it doesn't make sense if they're not. You know, how how they, do they survive if not? They they wouldn't be here otherwise. Yeah, yeah. Put it that way. Yeah. But again, yeah. So again, going back to, to why climbers or why vines. So that was one that was one idea, right? But there is another important point, which is already back in, in the writings of Darwin, right? You see the tribute we pay to Darwin throughout the book. Yes, definitely. And here, Darwin, if you see, he was able to observe all these behaviors to the naked eye, right? Yeah. And that's something I emphasize in my classes to, with the students because I say, hey, don't get overexcited with technology. Because people think, okay, just by having the best technology we can have today, you just think that you by doing that, you already have the answers. Like, okay, yeah, sure, you have this gadget. Oh, what a great toy I got for Christmas. I'm going to place it. <laughs> yeah, sure. And the best toy is the trained eye, the way yeah, you are able definitely. to train your mind. And that doesn't come with gadgets or with high tech. That comes with the perspective. And the way you educate yourself or train yourself into that perspective. And with climbers, with vines, in a sense, it's easier to do because their behavior is more conspicuous to the eye. So it's easier to spot uh-huh. to the naked eye. Other plants, their time scale, their behavior unfolds in longer time scales. But literally, if I'm in my attic, actually, you're right here. On my attic, on top of this room is where I started observing these climbing beans before setting up the lab at the uni. So I could sit there with a climbing bean simply to watch it. And literally, if I was sitting there for two hours or three hours, which again is a great mindfulness exercise, just sit there and watch your climbing bean. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, you, if you do so, you will realize that you don't even need time-lapse footage. You do see it to the naked eye. So the time scale in which their behavior unfolds is in a way closer. We think they grow so slowly that, that we cannot possibly observe their behavior. No, no, they are slow, but they are faster than many people think. Something yeah, like training species. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. It's funny. In my book, I beg people to take five minutes, five minutes with your plants, no screens, uninterrupted time with your plants. And you're saying three hours. <laughs> so yes. you're the yeah. 2.0 version. You know, once you master, take five with plants, <laughs> take three hours with plants. <laughs> Okay, so build up to that. <laughs> so we talked a lot about plant intelligence. I'm curious about plants and their feelings because you know, as houseplant parents, specifically gardeners, we talk to our plants, we care them, we like establish this paternal bond with our plants, and we have these feelings towards our plants. And I think you know, you've seen these different studies of like the tomato plants in school and a group of the kids are yelling at one of the plants and a group of the kids are speaking kindly to the other plant. And, you know, there's all of this interesting conversation about whether they feel or not and whether they can feel the nurturing things that, you know, the nurturing that we're giving them. So what is your take on that? Hmm. Yeah. Well, one thing is for, I mean, feeling is a dangerous word, right? The term itself, because it's, it's really heavily loaded right so it's it's Subjective, we might yeah 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 it's it's so 
we should be careful. I, I'm not against using that term, but with some caveats, right? So that okay. we make sure we understand what we are talking about. So one thing is for sure, plants sense their surroundings. That's for sure, right? And they have a panoply of, of sensors. They have all sorts of ways to sense many, many different environmental parameters, like, you know, both biotic and abiotic. So they can sense neighbors, uh, stress of many sources, uh, electromagnetic fields, uh, of course, the gravity pool, light, of course, many different... So they, all sorts of things they are sensing all day long, nonstop. So they are monitoring their surroundings round the clock. Mm-hmm. Going back to the idea of being sessile, how could they survive without constantly monitoring their surroundings to take anticipatory action when the time right. is needed, right? right. So that's a, that one thing is to understand that they do sense their surroundings. And a different issue is to say that they feel in a way that brings them closer to what we mean by humans' feelings, right? So take the idea of suffering. When people say, do plants suffer? Well, we know certainly that plants can be stressed and they are stressed. Hydric stress, if you don't water them, uh, salinity, okay? Salinity salt can be a great source of stress for life, right? So we know there is all forms of stress out there, right? Now, so one risk in discussing the feelings of plants is that we are anthropomorphizing what we mean by it in a way that, oh, you are looking at your potted plant in your room or in your backyard or whatever, and then you have an an idea of what is it that they, in a sense, they should be feeling from your perspective. Yeah. And then we need to forget about ourselves. That's another good exercise. (laughs) To forget about ourselves and to think, if humans weren't around at all, what is it that they would be caring about? See I what think I mean? it's, a good, it's a good way of, it, like the comparison of what is it like to be a plant and what do plants sense, you've got to think about it in terms of what is it useful for plants to feel? What is it useful for humans to feel? We are sociable animals yeah. that are wired yeah. to empathize and create yeah. community and to have theory of mind. Is that any evolutionary value to a plant? Probably not. Absolutely. Absolutely. So plants' feelings in terms of the human feelings have no real relevance for a plant. It would not serve any function. But do they have experience of suffering and negative negative subjective experiences probably yeah, yeah. um well, so we we are able to empathize with them because we are geared yeah. to empathize with things we care about and we we anthropomorphize them yeah. so in some ways it's not it's not a bad you know if you want to care for your house plants it's probably not a bad thing to kind of imagine that they have human feelings but in terms of we're trying to really understand what plants experience and how plants operate we have to really think what kind of subjective experiences are going to be of value to a plant? Mm. Clearly, yeah. the emotions are not one of them. Yeah. Well, actually, I, what Natalie is saying is, I mean, it's the perfect example of, of a potential misunderstanding in this context. Yeah, totally. Think of classical music versus some other type of music. Some people think, oh, if you play this sort of music or this other sort of music to the plant, we are projecting the way we enjoy that music and we assume that plants will likewise enjoy it or not in the same way we do, right? Mm-hmm. And the fact that that wouldn't make any evolutionary sense doesn't mean that there is no mechanosensory perception. So, of course, mm-hmm. the surface of the plant body is full of sensors sensitive to that sort of mechanical stimulation, so the, the one coming from vibrations. So we are not doing away with the idea that plants can, in principle, be sensing that acoustic information mm-hmm. surrounding their, their environment whatever noises or sounds or whatever is is happening at home, right? That's 
certainly the case, they are very sensitive to that sort of mechanical stimulation. It's just a matter of categorizing it differently. Their categories mm. don't need to match our categories, as in classical music versus hard rock or whatever. Yeah. See what I... Well, it's interesting, too, because it sounds like, yes, plants feel, but they don't feel the way that we feel. So we feel love to our plants, right? Mm. Like, I feel bonded and I get my little... Uh, bonding hormone what is it ser not serotonin oxytocin um, oxytocin yeah ox i get my little oxytocin burst when i water my plants and talk to them the plants are going to sense and feel my being around them my watering mm. whatever but they're not going to be feeling mm. love towards me the way i feel mm. because i'm assuming plants don't make oxytocin mm. but um so it's that there's feelings that play for both sides but they're different and we have to decenter ourselves from the approach to trying to understand them. Yeah. But the Does still, that make sense? It, yeah, it definitely makes sense. Yeah. But okay. still, in the context of what Natalie said before, it would make sense, this thing you just said, if we, instead of using plant and the interaction with the human, say plant and the interaction with the pollinator. Evolutionary speaking, that pattern of interaction does make sense to say, hey, the plant might be feeling something as it's interacting with the pollinator because that pattern of coevolution has been sculpted throughout evolutionary time. Yeah. So their hugging does make sense, evolutionarily speaking. Totally. That's so, oh my gosh, this is wild. I am dying right now because we have a hard out at the in 10 minutes. I could sit and chat with you guys for so much longer. We'll definitely have to have you back on the show. But one thing that I found fascinating that I wanted to talk to you about, which I think is an interesting way to wrap, is that we actually both, opened our books with plant blindness. Mm. That was the first chapter of my book because I very much experienced plant blindness as living in New York City, never noticed the trees on my street, never noticed the plants in the stores, grew up with, you know, plants that I never noticed in a house. And then all of a sudden, when I started caring for plants, I was like staring in awe at the trees on my street and noticing the rogue morning glory. Like it was an awakening in me, like truly mm -hmm. you speak, you know, you also share that, but kind of more through a lens of science and like the great chain of being. Can you speak to plant blindness a little bit? Mm. Well, yeah, well, it's great to hear that we both started opened up uh, with blindness. I mean, that cannot be a coincidence. There's got to be something there, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that blindness, in a sense, transcends or goes way beyond plant blindness. So we are blind to so many things, right? Yeah, definitely. And to me, what's really revealing uh, uh, about blindness is what it implies uh, about what we mean by seeing by perceiving the surroundings, Ooh, because we have okay. well, we, we, we have this cartoonish understanding of seeing as something like, okay, something gets into my retina, and then I process that image with my visual cortex as if it was something static, like I cannot do some, anything about it. This information comes into my eye and boop, pops up the image yeah, in my brain, yeah. right? And I think the, what's revealing is that seeing or uh, perceiving the surroundings has to do with the expectations we bring about. Mm -hmm. So we don't see what we are not expecting to see, right? Mm -hmm. So precisely because we can only see what we expect to see, this is a question that relates to the way we have been educated, both in school and in the out, uh, out in gen more generally, right? So, and, and more generally, again, how doesn't it happen to you when you go to another city 
visiting, and you see things with a fresh eye. Everything is revealing, is sexy, is appealing. And then you go back to your own city and you go, oh, I have these amazing things in my city and I never see them. I'm blind to my city because it's far too familiar. Oh, it's yeah. Far too close. <laughs> I can speak to that for New yeah, York City yeah. for sure. I don't, think, I don't see the mountains next to Murcia and I go some other city and I cannot help to say, oh, shit, I, I have to hike that mountain. I have to go there. And, and I don't see that when I'm far too close. Mm-hmm. So in a sense... We are so close to plants because we are surrounded by them, in a sense, or naturally speaking, evolutionarily speaking, that mm-hmm. we tend to think of them as this, this background greenery that we speak of in the book, right? It's, okay, it's just sitting there. We, we don't pay attention to it, right? Yeah. So, so definitely with... Is, is that experience yeah. you get when you're, you're used to the kind of foliage you get in your where you live, you know, all the, all the shapes of the leaves, the colors, the textures, and then you go somewhere completely different, like the tropics or Asia or somewhere very different mm-hmm. from my, where one lives. And, mm. and the kind of the, the composite effect of all the difference in the, the species around you is actually quite shocking. You can't mm. you can't distinguish them very well. You haven't got your eye in, but you also notice them a lot more because they're the kind of the, the texture of the of the surrounding plant life feels so different. And yeah. Natalie, coming from a zoology background, when I was learning about plant blindness, it was interesting also all of these studies that show that humans recognize animals as living things more than plants. What was that like for you diving into the other side of this, coming from the animal <laughs> side? I suppose I was increasingly aware of my own biases as well. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd always gone to commune with trees and things like that, but I'd never really gone into plant sciences very much because I just had this prejudice that they were just less interesting to me than animals. Mm-hmm. And so it was very eye-opening to have to shift my perspective and really explore my own plant blindness yeah. well remember the, the example we recount in the book about you know students on campus uh, you know they come into classes every morning for years like undergrads for year and they couldn't believe it when you when you tell them look you every morning when you walk from the bus stop to class you walk through these you know carefully curated gardens with hundreds of species mm-hmm. you ask them all of them say hey how many different species you reckon there are around campus as you know, 10, 20, maybe. When you tell them there are over 500 different yeah. species, they walk by every single morning for the last four years. Where, where was I? I mean, in my own bubble, right? Yeah, you so were we are in our blind. own bubble. Yeah. I think, too, it's interesting because I grew up in New York. So I have had the, I have been lucky to experience four seasons and we get great fall foliage, right? But growing up, that was just so normal to me. Like it was just part of life. And, you know, once a year, there were piles of brown leaves and you jump in them and it was fun. And then you moved on. The way that people lose their shit over fall foliage in New York and the Northeast, <laughs> people come from mm-hmm. all over the world to come see the leaves <laughs> turn brown yeah. here. And it's interesting as an adult now, because my husband and I have, you know, our anniversary trip, we went around the Northeast looking at all the beautiful foliage everywhere. But it is so interesting of like, it's also kind of, it's this concept of figuring out what you take for granted and finding new found appreciation for it. And I think your book, you know, as we kind of have to wrap up, your book is a beautiful opportunity for people to take this relationship with plants that we have to the next level, because your book really does make us question. It made me question so much about what I've assumed. And I think this conversation too, like you are continually pushing me to be like, okay, but take yourself out of this. You know, my, 
my book and my career is how do we use plants to feel better as humans? I feel like your book and your career is how do we get out of our own egocentric human ways to ask ourselves the bigger questions? Um, and, you know, I think in general, just there's we have scratched. Obviously, we've scratched the surface of this this topic in this conversation, but we've scratched the surface of the opportunity for unbelievable gratitude for plants and mm -hmm. an awe of gratitude for plants and nature and how freaking amazing they are. It is absolutely. Very I, much so, I yeah. wish we learned something, right? Out of this appreciation, we learn what to yes. do about it because it's yes, just like, absolutely. <laughs> that's the next stage. Do something about it. Yes, that's the next step. So, Paco, Natalie, this was so fun. I'd love to have you back on the show because I feel like we it's could take we could take one chapter in your book and have an hour conversation. Let alone trying to like talk about the whole concept of plant intelligence in you know fifty mm. minutes. But where can everyone find you and find your book so that they can continue learning and having their mind's horizon expanded? Mm. Well, Natalie's web page is way better than mine. I have <laughs> one of these, you know, boring academic pages. Okay. So, so for the book itself, I think in Natalie's web page is way nicer. <laughs> If people want to dive in the Mint Lab, the Minimal Intelligence Lab, to see what is it that we do at the lab and the type of experiments, we scientific experiments we do to unearth plant intelligence, they could go to visit my site, which is the Mint Lab. Uh, they can Google it up, Mint Lab, Minimal Intelligence Lab. Um, you can also find um, the book on Amazon as well, and it's coming out in the States in March as well. Mm. So the, Amazing. The, the US uh, we'll edition link, is going to be out soon. Yeah. Fabulous. So we'll link we'll link to everything in the show notes as well, so people can go check out Mint. I, Paco, I think we should definitely just have you back for an episode on Mint, because the, the studies that you dive into on your book are, like, so wild. <laughs> and, yes, I can't recommend this book enough just to be completely humbled as a plant parent of realizing how much you don't really know or understand about your amazing plants. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank you great. so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Paco and Natalie, for this deep conversation. Like I said, I wish I had like 15 or 30 more minutes to talk with them. Our interview was cut short because we had a hard out, but they were so fun to talk with. I love their passion. Oh my gosh. Um, the book is pretty mind-blowing. It's I read it cover to cover. It's called Planta Sapiens, Unmasking Plant Intelligence. And if any of this conversation sparked your interest, the book just dives in so much deeper. I mean, they profile all sorts of studies. There's diagrams. There's illustrations. It's a really kind of mind-bending, eye-opening book. And if you are on a journey to get to know nature and plants better, the book is a great option. Also, I've linked to Paco and Natalie's personal websites and also to the Mint Lab in case you're interested in checking that out more. I'm definitely hoping to stay in touch with them. They were super interesting and I loved how we kept going back to like take yourself out of the conversation. These plants have been around so much longer than us and they're going to be around so much longer after we're gone as a human species, right? Like they are smarter and hardier than we are. And uh, it's interesting that, you know, as selfish humans, we always kind of put ourselves in the center of the conversation. And, uh, you know, I love that they kind of kept challenging me to take myself out of it and to take us out of it because I think that's a very natural thing to do. And I've really, I've been sitting with what we've talked about and I'm really thankful for them. And plant friends, I'm thankful for you. This has been so much fun. Thank you for all the support of this rebrand that we've gone through. 
I'm like so excited about all of the interviews that we've shared with you already, but that we have coming up. Like, make sure you are subscribed to the show because we have some really interesting interviews like this. And the rebrand allows for me to bring guests like Paco and Natalie on and kind of explore these larger, broader topics, deeper topics when it comes to plants and nature. And uh, also, if you have ideas for topics you want me to talk about or people you want me to interview in the podcast, DM me. My DMs are open, plan friends. I read my DMs. You can also email me, maria at growingjoywithmaria.com. We've had a couple of listeners already send in some really great suggestions that I'm taking to heart and tracking these people down and trying to get them on the show, I create the show for you, right? I create the show for a community. So however I can support you in your journeys, I'm always here to listen and learn from you. So with that little gushing moment, until next time, my sweet plant friends, keep blooming and keep growing joy. Plant friend, thank you so much for tuning in today. If you like what you heard, make sure that you're subscribed to the show so you don't miss an episode. We have incredible episodes lined up in 2023, and I don't want you to miss one topic. And while you're subscribing, would you mind clicking over to the review section and leaving us a review? Reviews are tremendously helpful for the growth of the podcast, so I thank you in advance for helping this podcast reach as many planty earbuds as possible across the globe. If you're looking for more opportunities to grow as a plant parent with Growing Joy content, we've got a ton of free options for you. First, there's the Plant Parent Personality Test. It's so fun. It takes literally three minutes to complete. You take the test, you get your Plant Parent Personality Profile and a curated list of plants, projects, and podcast episodes that are right up your alley, tailored just for you, inspired by your results. The link is in the show notes. Make sure to let me know what your personality is after you take the test. If you're looking to uplevel your plant parent game, check out my website. We've got a bunch of free guides that you can download on topics like understanding natural light, which is actually a three-day worksheet, and nine ways to clean up your office if you need to bring a little bit of planty joy into your work life. And finally, I want to invite you to join the plantiest and kindest corner of the internet, my online garden society. It's both a web platform and an iOS and Android app. It allows our listeners to get together in an algorithm and troll-free online space to swap plant care tips, humble brag about plant wins, and get support when you have plant fails. We have monthly live planty show and tells on Zoom, which are so fun, and even have a living library of planty book recommendations sourced from our community. You can go to jointhegardensociety.com to grab your membership. And for anything else, plant friend, I am here for you. Feel free to drop me a line, whether you have an idea for an episode, an event, or maybe you're even a planty business interested in sponsoring the show. And of course, following me on Instagram and TikTok for daily planty silliness, musings, and tips is always recommended. You can find me across socials at Growing Joy with Maria. Thank you again so much for listening. It is truly my honor and life's delight to help you keep blooming and keep growing joy. Plant care is self-care on Growing Joy, the podcast. Make new plant friends, propagate knowledge, and grow some freaking joy. That's the motto of the Growing Joy Garden Society app and platform, otherwise known as the plantiest and kindest corner of the internet. If you've been an OG listener or a longtime listener, you might also know this app and platform as the Bloom and Grow Garden Party, but with the rebrand, we've rebranded it to the Growing Joy Garden Society. No trolls allowed, kind plant friends only. And if you haven't heard about the society yet, Plant Friend, you got to join. It's my online community that you can access via iOS or Android app 
or on your computer that I built to connect our international community of plant friends so we can all nerd out together about plants and celebrate our passion for our beloved plant babies. We have members literally all over the world. I'm so in love with this community of sweet plant friends. I can't say enough amazing things about them. But also there's a lot of really cool features about the app you might be interested in. There's dedicated hashtags to all sorts of different subsects of planty passions like houseplants, gardening, plant-inspired DIY projects, growing joy, plants and pets, and so many more. There's a plantrepreneur group, so if you're a planty entrepreneur and you want to connect with other planty entrepreneurs, you can join that group to connect and network. There's a plant swap section, plus the entire app, and this is my favorite part, is entirely searchable. So say you want to learn more about Hoya, you type the word Hoya into the search bar and literally every post ever created about Hoya will pop up so you can click in, see what other people have been posting about Hoya and learn on your own and crowdsource hair information. It's so cool. But last but not least, it's an amazing way to support the show. Your monthly membership not only goes to sustaining the platform, but it also supports my team of editors, writers, and a community manager that help the world of Bloom and Grow keep growing. So come join us. All you got to do is go to jointhegardensociety.com and sign up for the community plan. Once again, you go to jointhegardensociety.com and click the community plan. Hot take plant friends, there is no one right starter plant. There, I said it. And you know what? While I'm at it, there are also no real plant killers in the world. There are just people who have not figured out their right plants for their lifestyle. This is why I created the free Plant Parent Personality Test, because Plant Friend, I want you to get thriving alongside your houseplants as quickly as possible, so I made this cutie little Plant Parent Personality Quiz that's totally free for you on my website to take the guesswork out of building your plant collection effortlessly and joyfully. After speaking to thousands of members in our community, I realized that there are about five key plant parent personalities, each one with their unique set of strengths, weaknesses, and a unique set of plants that thrive under their care. For example, a mindful plant parent, someone who wants to engage with their plants daily, use them in their morning routines. If someone gifted that plant parent a succulent and they watered it every day, that succulent would die immediately. However... That drought-resistant succulent is a perfect match for a low-key plant parent, which is someone who travels, has kids, is busy, doesn't have time to engage with their plants every day. They're looking to engage with their plants more like once a week or once every couple of weeks. In addition, obviously, to understanding your light and basic plant care that we provide on this podcast, Happy Plant Parenthood is all about discovering your personality and then picking the right house plants to go with it. It's that simple. No more stressing over your collection. So what plant parent personality type are you, plant friend? All you got to do to find out is take my free quiz on my website and let me know. You can access it at growingjoywithmaria.com slash personality. After taking the test, you'll get an email with a list of plants, podcast episodes, and planty projects that I think would light you specifically up like a full spectrum grow light. So once again, that's growingjoywithmaria.com slash personality for your free plant parent personality test results. <music> 